You're listening to Bible Study Wednesday on Law and Gospel on this last day of August, the 31st, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at the last portion of Proverbs chapter 11, verses 23 to 31. This is Solomon in chapter 11, talking about righteous behavior. And this is a really important point in understanding the book of Proverbs. Because Proverbs is just not a bunch of sayings about about how we as human beings operate in this world. No, it's Proverbs about the difference between those who are righteous in God's sight and those who are unbelievers. In other words, it's a difference between those who have the wisdom of Jesus Christ or the foolishness of Satan himself. This is very important to take a look at these verses because that's the distinction being made. For example, the desire of the righteous ends only in good, whereas the hope of the wicked ends in wrath. Now, this is very clear that what kind of desire ends in good? The desire of the righteous. Therefore, what this text in Proverbs is talking about is not how you become saved. It is what happens after you are totally saved, where God has declared you to be righteous, not because of your works, but because you believe the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a huge law and gospel difference. Under the law, people think they become righteous by doing righteous good works. But in Scripture, righteousness is a gift from God that is not dependent upon any of your works at all because you can't even do any good works until you are righteous. So we're not talking about justification. Justification would be something like, well, the parable in Luke 15, where Jesus talks about a lamb gets lost and the shepherd goes out, finds it, picks it up on his shoulders and carries it home. That's justification. That's how you get saved, by Jesus coming to you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you receive faith, trust in the shepherd. And he's the one who carries you home. Jesus is the subject of all statements dealing with your justification. In the area of sanctification, The subject is still God, but the subject is the Holy Spirit. So when it says the desire of the righteous, 
This means this is a hope or an expectation of the person who has been declared righteous by God and his hope, his desires ends only in good. Whereas the hope of the wicked ends in wrath. Now that wrath can be from God or it can be from other human beings because that's how God has set up the world. There are, this is really important, there are always negative consequences for wicked deeds. And therefore the hope of the wicked always ends in wrath. Verse 24, chapter 11 of Proverbs. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want or poverty would be another translation. Now, see, that sounds like an ironic statement. The more you give, the more you get rich. Whereas the person who withholds, he ends up suffering poverty. See, Solomon, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is telling us, human beings, how one really becomes richer. And that doesn't necessarily mean wealth. When one gives freely, and it's kind of an obedience to the second summary of the commandments, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. One gives freely to the neighbor. One grows all the more richer with eternal riches, particularly heaven as your home. This is the lifestyle of the Christian who gives freely, not on the basis of, well, I'm going to do it because guess what? I'll get paid back. Jesus has that parable he talks about where he says, when you have a party, you know, just don't invite your relatives, your friends, your good neighbors for the purpose of making sure that they'll invite you to their parties and you'll get be repaid back. But instead, invite the poor, the lame, the blind, the ill. Now, Jesus isn't necessarily talking about every time you have a party at your house, those are the people you invite. No, a Christmas party is usually with friends and neighbors and relatives. But we're talking about in the Christian life, we belong to the church. And therefore, we welcome anyone to come to the church to hear the word of God. In fact, during my ministry in another congregation, we would often take Tuesday and Thursday nights where we would go out into the neighborhood to show people that they were welcome into our church by visiting with them, knocking on their doors, and asking them if they would like to hear what we believe. 
And then during vacation Bible school, I don't ever remember saying to a child who was not Lutheran or was coming from the neighborhood and saying to him or her, I'm sorry, you're not welcome in our vacation Bible school. No, every child was welcome from the neighborhood. And that's why it's not all, all unusual that vacation Bible schools sometimes have four or five more children, four to five times more children than one has on a Sunday morning for Sunday school. That means we give freely and we grow all the richer with the eternal riches of those people. Whereas another withholds what he should give and he suffers poverty. You, you have those kind of pictures of people who sit around counting their money all the time, just making sure, well, this is my God, my money, and therefore I withhold what I should give to those in need to make sure that I will have enough for me. That's another story Jesus tells about a farmer who has so many crops, he doesn't have enough barns to put them in, or today we would call them silos. So what does he do? I'm gonna knock all those that I have down and build larger ones so that the rest of my life I can eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus calls him a fool because that night he is required to die and loses all that he has been trying to put together. So he withholds what he should give and he suffers true poverty. 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, but the one who waters will himself be waters, be watered. Now, what does that mean? Remember, the purpose of a pastor is not only to help you understand the original meaning of the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Aramaic that the Bible is written in, but also to help you understand the English. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. Now, does that mean you give a lot of gifts to people and you'll be enriched? No. The word blessing, you well know it from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for there shall be the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for they also will be part of the kingdom of God. A blessing is a gift that we share with our neighbors that we have received from Jesus Christ. And as you share the blessings that Jesus Christ gives you, you will prosper. We're finding that out in a lot of churches these days. You, you can turn on other radio stations and listen to some sermons and there's no word about Jesus on the cross or the forgiveness of sins or salvation apart from your works. 
It's all about work righteousness. You're, they're not bringing the blessings of Jesus through their sermons, through their liturgy, through their hymns. They're telling people, oh, don't worry. Everything will work out for you. But when we bring the blessings of Jesus, we will be enriched. Take a look at those congregations using proper liturgy, proper hymns, and proper sermons. They are being enriched just as the one who gives freely grows all the richer with eternal riches. So the members of the congregation are enriched with the comfort of Jesus Christ. And the verse goes on, and one who waters will himself be watered. What does that mean? Well, who is the water of life? Jesus talks about that to the Samaritan woman who gathers some water and he says, I have water to give that you will never be thirsty. Jesus is the water of life. So in the text, verse 25 says, the one who waters, it's those who really are relishing and watering others with the message of Jesus Christ. And then we ourselves are watered. I mean, a parent cannot teach a child the small catechism without the parent himself or herself being watered by what is being said. Verse 26, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Now, what does that mean? I mean, what does the English mean? Well, Jesus did give that parable about the man who it looked like it was a time when there might be a famine. So he hoards for himself all of his crops. And guess what? The people curse him. A good example would be Joseph, second in command to Pharaoh after he interpreted Pharaoh's dream about seven years of plenty followed by seven years of want. Pharaoh put Joseph in charge and Egypt did not hoard the grain for themselves, but the grain was available to everyone throughout the world. And that resulted in the brothers and the family of Joseph coming to Egypt, staying there for 400 years because of the famine and because Egypt had been willing not to hoard back their grain, but to give it to those who needed. And therefore, Egypt was a blessing because they sold their grain, did not just keep it for themselves. Verse 27, whoever diligently seeks good, seeks favor. 
but who seeks evil, that comes to him who searches for it. Now, what's that talking about? Once again, it's the law and gospel point of view. The person who diligently seeks good, that's what Proverbs is all about. Solomon, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, first of all, telling his sons and then the nations to seek good. Now, what is that good? That good is recognized as the wisdom of God, namely the very commands and demands of Jesus Christ. We seek the good not because we're forced to do that, but because we so love Jesus for what he has done for us in dying for our sins that we seek his good and therefore we find his favor. What's his favor? That's the promises he gives that all things will work out together for our good, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that's because we believe his promises. But the person who seeks evil and searches for it, he gets evil coming to him. He thinks it's good, but it's really evil. Verse 28 explains this. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Or it can be translated, will flourish like foliage. Remember when the people of Israel finally entered into the land of Canaan and they began to eat the food they found in Canaan? What stopped? The manna falling from heaven stopped because there was no longer a need for it, because the righteous were flourishing like foliage. And there's a big difference between Israel at the Red Sea with the Egyptians behind them and the Red Sea in front of them and the Israelites at the River Jordan. At the Red Sea, they began to complain to Moses, why'd you bring us into this wilderness so that we could be killed here? It'd been better if we could serve as slaves in Egypt, even though they have been asking God for many years to help them. They did not have faith in God. And that's really amazing because they saw and witnessed the 10 plagues that God did that moved Pharaoh to say, okay, you can leave. Now, Pharaoh changed his mind and wanted them back. But they did not have trust in God. And yet God still opened the Red Sea to allow them to escape. They went across the Red Sea. Then they began to complain because the Egyptians were going to use the dry land to come after them. Complaint after complaint after complaint. But why did God continue to bless them? Because he had made a promise to Abraham that they would return to the land of promise, which was Canaan. 
which really prefigured the real land that they would be going to, the afterlife, heaven itself. In contrast to those unbelieving Israelites at the Red Sea, the people of Israel at the River Jordan, ready to enter into the promised land, they were the children and grandchildren of those who had gone through the Red Sea and had died in the wilderness. They were their children, their offspring, and they had faith, and they followed the orders of God through Joshua, went to the Red Sea, and it split. Well, actually, the waters stopped from flowing down the river, and they became a heap miles away, giving the people dry land to cross. The righteous will flourish like a green leaf. 29. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. Now, what good is inheriting the wind? The, the wind is just wind. Therefore, if you trouble your own household, your own family, all you will inherit is not everlasting salvation, but a wind that blows where it wants. This is what happened to the children of David. They, his son specifically, inherited the wind. And he was a fool. A fool in Proverbs always refers to an unbeliever. And he will be a servant to the wise of heart. And that certainly did happen a number of times in the scripture. Verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Now, this is farm language, because that's what most of the people were familiar with in the days of Jesus. There weren't factories or assembly lines. Most people farmed for a living. So it says, the fruit of the righteous. Now, what is the fruit of the righteous? That's talking about sanctification. In fact, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, it doesn't talk about the sheep have such good works that they are saved, but they are called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which means it's a work done with the motivation of loving Jesus Christ. That's the fruit of the righteous. And what does it result in? The tree of life, which will also be in heaven, that tree of life from the Garden of Eden. And whoever captures souls is wise. What does the English mean? It really can also be translated as whoever harvests souls, that person is wise. Why? 
because that's what Christians do in the Holy Christian Church. We set up worship services, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, send out tracts, may even be on radio stations because we're trying to harvest souls who are ready to be harvested. And that's God's work through us. When we bring a child to be baptized, which will be occurring at one of the churches that I take care of this Sunday, we're going to be harvesting or capturing that soul for the kingdom of God, removing that child from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. Verse 31, if the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Now, the righteous again is a believer, not an unbeliever. How are we repaid on earth? We're repaid by the many promises of Jesus that take care of us. Call, him in the, call upon him in the day of trouble, he will deliver you. That is how we are repaid. He keeps his promises. And that's what's so important about Christianity. Salvation is not based on my good works. It's based on the promises of God. How much more the wicked and the sinner are repaid by God with negative consequences on this earth. So as you read Proverbs 11, you see the distinction between the believer's behavior and the unbeliever's behavior. It's a distinction between law and gospel, which we'll continue with tomorrow. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.